Welcome to the Disney View Podcast. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer. He's a one-time cast member, and he's been to Disney World literally hundreds of times. Listen in as he talks about one of his favorite things, the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, and occasionally beyond the Orlando theme park. And now, here's your host. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I wanted to look at the new Fantasyland and the expansion that's going on there. Now, this is the largest expansion that's happened in the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World since its opening in 1971. Of course, there have been other expansions, including the addition of Epcot, the Animal Kingdom, the studios, and even Disney's California adventure over at Disneyland. And of course, there have been parks that have opened worldwide. But for the Magic Kingdom and for those of us who are true lovers of Walt Disney World, this is the largest expansion we've ever seen in the Magic Kingdom's history. So I wanted to take a look and pay tribute to all of the things that are there now and look forward to some of the things that are still yet to come. I keep up with pretty much everything that's going on up at the Disney World parks. And I have a pretty good sense of what the new Fantasyland looks like, even though I haven't actually seen it myself. My last trip was in May before Fantasyland opened. And that reminds me, I have a couple of podcasts that I want to put out there to uh, share some of that experience with you. But in any event, uh, I wanted to present to you what Fantasyland is and what it looks like now. Now, to do that, I had invited my friend Kurt on to talk about his recent trip to Disney World. He had gone into Fantasyland and had a great time and was telling me all about it. And I recorded the entire interview, and it was great, and I was ready to post it. But unfortunately, I deleted that podcast. I'm not sure how I did it. I don't know what I did. It's the first time this has ever happened to me. I I used to do a podcast in a whole other arena, and I've never had this happen. So I'm truly sorry to Kurt and to those of you who might have enjoyed that. But what I'd like to do is kind of recreate the memory of it. I took good notes, and I have a pretty good feel for some of the things that were going on there. So I'd kind of like to recreate it and weave that into the story a little bit here as I talk about the new Fantasyland and some of the things that are there. So, if you'll indulge me, just sit back and relax and kind of close your eyes and imagine you're at the Magic Kingdom. So what I'd like to do is take a tour around of all the different areas around Fantasyland and what's open and what's coming. So as you look around, we'll start on the end closest to where the Mad Tea Party is. And that end is where uh, Mickey's Toontown Fair used to be. And what they did is they took the Dumbo ride and they moved it from behind the castle and near where the carousel is and moved it over to right over to where Mickey's Toontown Fair was. Now, not only that, they added a second Dumbo ride. So there are actually two different Dumbo rides that are next to each other. Not only that, the two rides face each other, so they run in opposite directions, which is kind of cool. So they're running different ways. So one is running clockwise, one's running counterclockwise, and that way you can kind of experience seeing the other one kind of coming at you. I think that's kind of a cool idea. But what they really did well was the new interactive queue that happens as a result of uh, getting people out there. For those of you who remember the old Dumbo ride, uh, it was always a long wait. You would get in line, and you might wait in line at peak times for an hour, an hour and a half, for a three-minute ride. You would get in, and the kids would love it, and it was always fun. So you'd get in line and be baking in the sun. There was a cover and a couple of fans that were blowing, but it would still get pretty hot in the Florida sun, especially during the summer. And you'd wait out there and swelter, and people would get out of line and go buy a drink and come back and buy ice cream and come back, and you'd wait in line for a good long time before you could ride the attraction. The load times were long. The ride itself was short. It was kind of an oddity because it wasn't really a people eater, as uh, Disney likes to think of things. So with the new ride and the two dueling Dumbos, you actually have the ability to get in line. And 
you're waiting for either one of the two Dumbo rides. Now, they did a couple of things to the loading and unloading to make it a little bit easier. So they've increased the amount of throughput that you can get through there, so your wait time for either one of the Dumbo rides is a little bit shorter. Plus, by running two at different intervals, they can move the queue along a little bit faster. But it's the interactive queue that makes it interesting. What they do is they give you sort of a pager, and you go in and you kind of wait in this open area that's a, an interactive space where you can learn about more about Dumbo and the Storybook Circus and all these fun things that are going on while you wait for the pager to go off so that you can go on the ride. So you're not stuck in strictly a queue. You're sort of in a holding area where you can kind of play around a little bit. It's air-conditioned, and it's really pleasant. So you can kind of have some fun while you're waiting, and then eventually you get to go on the ride. It's a completely different experience than it was when it was in the other location. Oh, heck, as recently as earlier this year. So it's really pretty cool what they've been able to do there and make it really something different. Now also in that area is the Casey Jr. Soak and Splash Station. This is a fun interactive play area for kids. Now what I've seen a lot of people do is bring their kids and bring an extra change of clothes or a swimsuit for the kids and let them splash around in some areas. Disney got the bright idea to go ahead and make some special areas for kids to splash around in. So this is one of those areas. It's next to the train station, and the train station is basically in the same location it used to be in for Mickey's Toontown Fair. So this is kind of close to where Mickey's house used to be, and now you can kind of tromp around and have a little fun. Now, rumor has it there's a hidden tribute to uh, Mickey Mouse's old country house that used to be there, so I'm going to have to be on the lookout for it when I go next time. Now, keeping with the circus theme, so that was Casey Jr.'s uh, Soak and Splash area. Now, Casey Jr., of course, was the train, and of course, in keeping with the theme, that train happened to be carrying a circus. So it all fits together with the circus theme. Carrying that just a little bit further is the Great Goofini. It's essentially still the same ride as Goofy's Barnstormer. But they've rethemed it slightly to make it more circus-oriented and calling it the Great Goofini. It's kind of a clever way to retheme it and make it fit in with what's already there. So you can take a ride on that and still have some fun. That ride hasn't really changed much. I think they changed the facade of, a, of the trains to make it a little bit more circus-themed. But otherwise, it's pretty much the same thing as the Barnstormer was before. Now, the other thing they did was they took the giant, what looked like a circus tent. It was red and white striped, and it was Mickey's Judge's tent at one point in time. And then it became a gift shop somewhere along the way. So it's still a gift shop, and you can go in, but there's more goofy-themed things, more Dumbo-themed things, and, it, and slightly circus-themed to kind of fit in with what's in there. So you can uh, check that out the next time you go as well. Now, moving along kind of to more where the castle is, right behind that area, so closer to where Dumbo used to be, you'll find the Enchanted Forest that's still not quite completed, but they give you the sense of the forest at this point as you're heading into the aerial exhibits. Look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? Wouldn't you think my collection's complete? Wouldn't you think I'm the girl, the girl who has everything? Look at this trove, treasures untold. How many wonders can one cavern hold? Looking around here, you think, sure, she's got everything. So the Little Mermaid-themed exhibits include Under the Sea, The Journey of the Little Mermaid, and this ride is an exact duplicate of the one that's at DCA. So if, you go on the ride, if you've ever seen the video or been on the ride over at the California Adventure, this is the same ride. 
It's a fun, interactive look at the Tales of the Little Mermaid, but it's essentially the same ride that's there. It's cute, and maybe adults would enjoy it, but I think the kids just love it, because it tells the story of Ariel and Sebastian and Flounder as Ariel goes about her business. Wanna see them dancing, walking around on those, what do you call them? Oh, feet. <laughs> Flipping your fins, you don't get too far. Now this area is just inside of Prince Eric's castle, so you can go inside Prince Eric's castle to actually get into the attraction. Now, of course, Prince Eric, for those of you who aren't in the know, is Ariel's bow. So it's a nicely themed thing, and the castle is beautiful. You look at it from a distance, and with the forced perspective that they put on it, it really does look like the animated castle that they created in The Little Mermaid. Now, of course, Ariel has a meet-and-greet area in Ariel's Grotto. This is similar to the grotto that they used to have over when they had Scuttles landing on the far side of where 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea used to be. So you can meet Ariel over by a rock in that area and get your picture taken with her or get an autograph. And moving just a little bit further along there, you'll move into the area that's really the Beauty and the Beast area. And the Beauty and the Beast area has a couple of interesting things. First of all, they took the story time with Belle and moved it from next to the castle into its own themed area back there. So it's a great location for it because you're immersed in the story of Beauty and the Beast while you're next to the Beast Castle instead of next to Cinderella's Castle. It's still the same, more or less, fun, interactive show where they pe call people up from the audience to be a part of it and... And Belle tells her story of her father and meeting the Beast and the handsome prince and so on. And it's still a fun way for especially little girls to enjoy meeting Belle. Now you can stop into Gaston's Tavern and get a LeFou's brew, which is actually just like a frozen apple juice drink, um, but it comes in a really cool way that looks something maybe like a daiquiri, and it's kind of fun, and it, you have the uh, Gaston's Tavern to kind of have it there. And it's all themed out in things you might think of with Gaston. Because, of course, he uses antlers in all of his decorating. Gosh, it disturbs me to see you, Gaston, looking so down in the dumps. Every guy here'd love to be you, Gaston, even when taking your lumps. There's no man in town as admired as you. You're everyone's favorite guy. Everyone's awed and inspired by you. And it's not very hard to see why. No one's slick as Gaston, no one's quick as Gaston, no one's next as incredibly thick as Gaston, for there's no man in town half as manly, perfect of your paragon, you can ask any Tom, Dick, or Stanley, and they'll tell you whose team they prefer to be on. 
to spare not a bit of him scraggly or scrawny that's right and every last inch of me's covered with hair no one gets like gaston in a spitting match nobody spits like gaston i'm especially good at expectorating when i was a lad i ate four dozen eggs every morning to help me get large and now that i'm grown i eat five But the more remarkable thing is probably the Be Our Guest restaurant. Now, the Be Our Guest restaurant, by day, is a quick service restaurant. And by night, is a sit-down table service restaurant. But calling it either a quick service or a sit-down restaurant is really not quite accurate. It's a little bit different than that. Now, so far, they've only really been previewing the quick service version of it. But even what we've heard about the sit-down restaurant, it's a little bit different than most sit-down restaurants. Now, Kurt was lucky enough to get there on a day when they were doing a preview. And he walked up to the uh, host that was standing there and uh, asked the question of whether it was open for business. And they said yes. And he was able to go in and check it out. Now, what I understand about it is this. You go into the restaurant, and it's not like any quick service restaurant you've ever seen. My chère mademoiselle, it is with deepest pride and greatest pleasure that we welcome you tonight. And now, we invite you to relax, just pull up a chair, as the dining room proudly presents your dinner. Be our guest. Be our guest. Put our service to the test. Tie your napkin round your neck, sherry, and we provide the rest. Soup du jour, hot or Why, we all... You walk in, and a host or hostess will hand you what looks like a rose. And this rose is a very special device that has a, uh, a... It's a smart device. And it actually has an RFID. It has some sort of a locator in it, and it also has an ability to connect up with a back-end server somewhere. So what you do is you walk up to... You take that rose, and you walk up to a kiosk. And the kiosk is a place where you can place your order. And it's got a, a visual menu, and you're just going to select the things that you want to order, and then you review your order. And it'll tell you to touch the rose to the side of the kiosk. Now the rose contains information about your order and what, you, what you've ordered and so forth. And now you've got all the information together. So you finish, you pay. Uh, there's people there that you can pay directly, or you can swipe your credit card or your key to the world and be able to pay for it. And then from there, all you have to do is walk out, find a table for yourself in any of the three dining rooms, and just put your rose on the table. Now, the three dining rooms are really kind of interesting because what Disney did was really think through how to make this an immersive experience into the Beauty and the Beast story. So the three dining rooms, you have the mysterious West Wing featuring a, the enchanted rose that's up on a table. So the rose is there and you can see it. 
And it's really kind of cool because they themed it all up to, into that darker sort of enchanted West Wing. Then you have the Rose Gallery, which is really an open seating area that's just beautifully decorated. And this is where, on occasion, you've seen the Beast come in and actually do some meet and greets. Now, there's no telling whether Disney's going to go forward with having the Beast there on a regular basis and make it more character dining or not. But he's been there periodically and somewhat regularly throughout the preview days. So you, can, uh, you might be able to catch the Beast there if you're lucky. And the third room is the ballroom room. And this is where Belle comes down in her beautiful golden gown in the, in the movie. Uh, and it's uh, got a dome ceiling, twinkling chandeliers, and view of softly falling snow outside the windows. So each of these rooms is wonderfully themed, and you can walk into any of them and find a table in there that you want to sit at. Now, you can, you can pick any of the tables you want. All you have to do is put your rose on the table, and you just sit down and you wait. Now, here's where Kurt thought it was kind of, kind of cool, because he, was, he realized that it had some sort of a device in it that had maybe an RFID or a locator device in it. And so he actually sat down at a table and uh, went and got his, his drink and his silverware and then walked off, picked up the rose, and moved to a different dining room and put the rose on a different table. And yet, they were able to find him. So, what they did, uh, what they do is, when it's time for your food to be ready, they don't buzz you, you don't have to walk up to a counter and pick it up. So in the true theme of, a, of you being their guest, they bring it out to you. They have a service cart, and on that service cart is your food on, on real china. And they have real silverware. It's not plastic silverware. And they bring it out, and they bring it out with a little bit of fanfare, and it's, and it's got a, a dome cover. I think they call it a cloche on top of it. And so they actually take it off, and they, they do the reveal, and they put the food in front of you, and, and then you've got the complete dining experience of sitting there and eating so they have your order. They know what you have, and they, they, bring the, they bring it out to you, and they actually bring it out on a, on a service card. I mean, how much more cool could that be? I mean, just when you think about the, the thought that goes into that, it's not, it's not counter service. It's not sit-down dining. It's something in between that's quick service. Now, as I understand it, when they get around to doing the full dinner service, it's going to be something a notch up from that. Well, probably two or three notches up from that because you won't have to order at a kiosk. You'll still have table service coming up. You'll have a waiter coming by your table. But I suspect that they're going to do even more to make it special and unique. Now, of course, the, the menu is a little bit enhanced, too. A lot of the restaurants, one of the, one of the big things that I have to say about a lot of the restaurants around the Magic Kingdom in particular is there's not that much interesting fare on the menus. But here at the Be Our Guest restaurant, there's a little bit more. They have some interesting sam- sandwiches, the Nichois salad, the grilled steak sandwich. And, of course, they use French fries that they don't call French fries. They call them pommes frites, as the French might call them. And they have a, sl- a couple of slightly decadent desserts that they can bring out to you as well. And that is really cool that they have all these different things, and they, they bring it all out to you, and they serve you at your, at, at your table. It's just so much more interesting than you know, going up to a counter-service restaurant, say, Pinocchio's Village House, and uh, walking up and standing in the line and ordering, and then going back, standing at the counter to get your food served. This is a completely different experience, and it really does up the ante a little bit. So I think it's a really interesting thing that they're doing, and I think Disney has really come up with something very clever. They're just getting started with the dinner service now, so advanced dining reservations are recommended for dinner. In fact, at this point, I would think they're probably almost required because I don't think you're going to be able to walk up and get dinner. Now, on my last podcast, I did talk about them serving alcohol at the Be Our Guest restaurants, and I did a little more research and did find out that, in fact, that is true. There's a relatively small selection of beers that are available. I guess you would actually call them ales instead of beers uh, that kind of fit in with the theming of the uh, 
be our guest restaurant. And there's also a selection of wines and champagnes that are available. Now, again, it's only for dinner, and uh, it kind of goes along with the theming, this being a French-type restaurant. It would kind of fit in that you'd be able to select an ale or a wine to be able to pair with your dinner. So it is available at that restaurant, that location only, and only for dinner. So just something to kind of keep in mind. It is a little bit different and unique for the Disney experience. Now, I have to tell you that Kurt was absolutely wowed by going there. And uh, he thought it was amazing and remarkable and just intriguing and just a great place to go and dine. And I am so jealous, and I have to get there and go check it out. So uh, I will be making my way there at some point in the not-too-distant future, I hope. And uh, we'll have to give you a, a dining review while I'm there. So that's what's, that's what's open currently. Now, there are a few things that are still to come. Now, as I said, the Enchanted Forest is still waiting to open. I believe the opening date for it is actually this week, so it should be open by the time that this podcast airs. And it's supposed to provide lush landscapes and waterfalls and some really interesting scenery and intricate things to look at as you're wandering among the castles. Now, one other cool thing about the the Beast Castle, again, forced perspective comes into play. When you're standing on the ground, it looks like a giant castle off in the distance. But it's really, you know, it's like a one-eighth scale model that's, that's kind of forced up on a hill that makes it look like it's much bigger than it actually is. And then a couple of other things that are still yet to come, the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. It's supposed to be an exhilarating journey inspired by the uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs movie. And that's scheduled to open in late 2013, maybe early 2014. This attraction was actually a late addition to the Fantasyland expansion. They had some other things in mind for that space and then decided at the last minute that they wanted to make it the Dwarf's Mine Train and make a roller coaster there. And I think that's a very clever idea and it's a nice way to kind of reincorporate the idea of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Since Snow White is one of the princesses and an integral member of the uh, princess society, so it's kind of neat to see that they're going to kind of take that back. And then there's something that boys can enjoy too. I realize the uh, journey of the Little Mermaid and maybe even listening to the story time with Belle might not quite be what most boys are interested in, but certainly the Dwarf's Mine Train might be right up their alley. So the Seven Dwarf's Mine Train is intended to replace the old Snow White's Scary Adventure that was right there next to the uh, Pooh Ride. So they actually closed the Snow White's Scary Adventure earlier this year, and they're going to make that into a princess meet-and-greet area, so you can go in and meet the princesses there. And I think this is a cool idea because they've got a lot of show space there. They can bring you back and have you into a themed area where you can meet all of the princesses and uh, be able to enjoy and interact with them. Now, as you may recall, over at Mickey's Toontown Fair, they used to have the queues where you could go up and you could meet the princesses and Mickey Mouse and so on back there. This will be a similar type of experience from what I understand, with the exception of the intended edition of FastPass that you can kind of go away and come back. Or some variation on FastPass. It might be FastPass Plus or something like that so that you can go and come back and visit the princesses as time permits and you don't have to wait in a long line necessarily to be able to see them. Now beyond that, the rest of Fantasyland remained more or less the same. You still have the Peter Pan ride, It's a Small World, the Winnie the Pooh ride, the Mad Hatter, and so on. Uh, Mickey's Filler Magic is still back in there. Uh, The Royal Carousel is still considered part of Fantasyland. Peter Pan's Flight. So those are all still part of what you would consider Fantasyland. Now, we understand that the Peter Pan queue will be getting an upgrade to its queue at some point in the near future. Will they be making a more interactive queue? So again, kind of taking advantage of the fact that there's an opportunity here to to delight guests as they're waiting in line to see the Peter Pan attraction. So uh, that will probably be coming in the next year or so, I would Guess. Given the fact that they just spent a lot of time and energy on this, I think it's probably about time that they'll, as people can move away from the Peter Pan attraction, that they can actually start working on the queue there. So, great opportunity there. Also, there's an area that's 
at the end of It's a Small World, it used to be the Fantasyland station for the Skyway. So if you would stand at It's a Small World and you were looking, if you turned around and were facing the Peter Pan ride, if you looked to your right, you would have seen like a little hill there. And at the top of the hill was a, a sort of a, a structure that looked like maybe it was a... Um, Maybe you were in Switzerland or something like that or somewhere in Europe. And it was a wooden structure, and that's where the, uh, fan- that's where the, the terminus was for the Skyway on the Fantasyland end. For a while, right in front of that area, they had stroller parking there. More recently, they've moved out uh, a bunch of barricades, you know, some, of the, some of the traditional Disney barricades, to put something else up in front of that area so that the entire area is cordoned off. And even as you walk into Liberty Square and you walk toward the Haunted Mansion, there's like a wall that goes all the way along. So behind that wall, clearly there's some construction going on. It's another part of the Fantasyland expansion, but I don't know what that is yet. I'm still kind of waiting to get a few more details about it, but uh, apparently they are doing a couple of additional things back there to expand on the Fantasyland uh, piece as well. So I'll be curious to see what they put back there and how they do it, but I think it's a really imaginative thing that they're doing, and it's really pretty cool what they've thought through at this point. And it's really neat to me that they've taken the time and effort and energy and put something into it that's really remarkable. It's so different than it used to be. You think about the entirety of Fantasyland. You think about everything that's back there. And it's so different and so unique, and I I really look forward to seeing it. Down to the finest detail, Disney has really taken advantage of this opportunity to delight guests and really exceed our expectations. I've mentioned before in my podcast that one thing about Disney is, you know, they they raise the price point, they raise the bar, and then my expectations go up accordingly. So I expect a little more from Disney. And so far, they've been meeting and exceeding those expectations, and I think it's just remarkable what they've been able to do over the last several years to keep raising that bar and make things even more remarkable and more exciting. So I think it's a, it's a, tremendously, it's a tremendous thing that they're doing right now, and uh, I can't wait to get up there and see it and really check it all out. Well, that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope you, I gave you a flavor for what the Fantasyland expansion is all about, what they're doing there, and so forth. The only potential downside right now is that for the short term, there might be some construction cranes and some other things that are visible from various points along Main Street or any of the other parts of the park because they have to do some construction at a, uh, at a higher place. They need some larger cranes there. So minor bit of bad show, potentially, but I think it's offset by this, the amazing thing that they've done there and just the remarkable feats that they've pulled off and how much more they've raised the bar for themselves. So I hope you guys get a chance to check it out. And please, if you do check it out, let me know what you think. I'm kind of curious. I hope to get there soon, um, but I can't say exactly when I'll be there. And of course, all of the Disney cast members have new costumes themed perfectly to each one of the areas that's there. And that's the really remarkable, that's the other remarkable thing that costuming just continues so you fit right in as a cast member. Hey, and that's my show for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. Show notes can be found on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. Looking to do some travel planning? Want to find an authorized Disney vacation planner? You should visit Destinations in Florida. Original music you hear in this podcast is courtesy of Sound On Music. You can find his music at ReverbNation.com slash SoundA. Our thanks also go to Doug for his continued contributions to the show. You can find links to other great Disney podcasts, as well as the latest Twitter feed and the Disney Buzz 
on DisneyPodcast.net. And don't forget to check out Dave's iPhone apps. There's a Hidden Mickeys app for finding and sharing hidden Mickeys at all of the Disney parks around the world. There's also an app designed especially for pin traders. You can keep track of all your pins and your wish list. Please be generous with your time or a donation to Autism Speaks. We do hope that you've enjoyed your visit and that you drive home safely. Show number 119.